We're looking at just five verses today. It's chapter 22 of Genesis, verses 20 to 24. It's a transitional uh, passage. These five verses are transitioning us uh, into what they call the epilogue. So the ending of one of the sections um, where we've been talking about Tara's line and uh, we'll be moving into a new section after we get through this. But this is the beginning of that epilogue. But as we think about this today, uh, Pauline Hilton said this of, uh, of her parents. She said, my parents... Salvation Army officers were out on a miserable December night for an open-air meeting. Not another person was around, but my dad said, God didn't need people to be out listening. He only needed us to be faithful. So they played a few carols, and Dad gave a short message before everyone retreated inside. A few weeks later, Dad was ringing the bell at a mall when a lady asked him if he had been on that street corner two weeks earlier. She explained, my father had been in a coma for six months. We were dreading the holidays since Dad was not really with us. But then we heard the carols, and to our amazement, my father sat up and said, that's God's music. And with that, he died. What an encouraging proof of God's faithfulness to those who are faithful. That's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Like, as we're obedient... Whether anybody listens or not, anyone's there or not, we're just supposed to be faithful. And in that, when we're obedient and faithful, God is faithful in return. As I'm thinking about that whole idea of God's faithfulness and how he just takes care of us, how he provides for us, even before we know uh, what's going on in our future, I think of two particular scenarios. We were uh, living in Florida at the time, Judy and I were, and uh, we were expecting Wade, our first. And we decided that uh, after we started having children, that Judy was going to stay home. And so we were like, well, we're going to start living off of my income and put her income away into savings. And so we started doing that this last year that she was teaching school and, and uh, right before Wade was born. And after Wade was born, we decided that we were going to move back to Ohio. And it took me uh, quite a few months to find a job. And so I began uh, serving with Child Evangelism Fellowship of Hardin and Hancock Counties. That's what God had called me to at that point. And before I began serving with CEF, we were living off of the savings that we had put aside from Judy's last year of teaching. And the amazing thing is that God knew our future. And he had provided what we needed for the interim. He knew ahead of time. And he was like, you guys are faithfully stepping out. And, and moving back to Ohio, you're faithfully following into ministry like I've asked you to do. And he just took care of us. He's like, I, and I'm preparing you ahead of time for what I have for you. The same thing happened when we moved from California uh, back to Pennsylvania. You know, we've been living out there for two and a half years. And uh, it, it took us, uh, we took several months after I resigned. We took several months and just traveled across the country, visited family, enjoyed the fellowship of, of our family. And we were able to live off the income that we had saved during that time. God had prepared us once again for a major transition, and he had pro provided for us ahead of time because we had faithfully taken that step of faith. And so God was faithful through our obedience. And so I want you to think about that today for yourselves. When have we seen God's faithfulness when we've been obedient? So take a moment to think about that. When has God asked you to obediently follow him? Did you listen? What was the result? How did you experience his faithfulness? 
when you were obedient to him with all your heart, when you loved him with all your heart. Abraham had obediently followed the Lord's direction in sacrificing his only son, Isaac. Pastor Mark shared with us last week that God provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac. And in the final five verses of chapter 22, we see the genealogy of Nahor, Abraham's brother. God knew just what Isaac would need in the future, and he was already preparing the way for him. And through this short transitional section, we'll see this big idea that God is faithful when we are obedient. When we love and obey him with all of our heart, he is faithful. And so as we think about that today, let that sink in just a moment. Let's just ask the Lord to bless this time. Lord, we come to you. I pray today that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us through your word. Lord, we're grateful that, that you use chipped and cracked vessels as your mouthpiece. And Lord, today, I am that. I am chipped and cracked, but I'm standing before your people today asking you to speak, asking you to use me as your faithful mouthpiece today for your honor and glory. So Lord, I just commit myself to you now and this message to your people. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. So let's look at these five verses. Genesis chapter 22, verses 20 to 24. And this is what God's word says. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uts, the firstborn, Booz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Yidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Reumah, also had sons, Tavak, Gaham, Takash, and Ma- Ma- Makaah. Aren't you glad you're not reading that this morning? <laughs> I'm not even sure I did it justice, but God knows, right? So at the very beginning, the first part of verse 20, we see that Abraham gets news from home, doesn't he? Now, uh, it says sometime later... there. These are the exact same words that began chapter 22 of Genesis. If you turn back to that, you'll see it. It's the exact same words as sometime later. It simply lets us know that time has passed. It's an indefinite amount of time, so we don't know how long it was, if it was just weeks or months or years that passed. But we just know um, that time has passed. And then it says that Abraham was told. In verse 1, we know that God is the one who spoke to Abraham. So it says, you know, sometime later, God said to Abraham. So we know who spoke there, but here, we'd have no idea. In verse 20, we don't know who told Abraham about his brother. It's probable that one of Nahor's children came from the east to visit Abraham and shared the news about his siblings. It's just all speculation, though, because God's word doesn't tell us who, or identify who this person is that's speaking to Abraham. 
And that's really not important. It's really what he's sharing that's more important. And so what is shared is next is Nahor's genealogy. And we see that in, in the second half of verse 20 through 24. We see Nahor's sons. Now, there's a note, just a couple of notes I want to make about this genealogy. Why is Nahor's genealogy shared here? Some people are like, well, why is it before um, you know, the story of, of, or, or the text about Sarah dying? Why isn't it right up on chapter 24, right before chapter 24, where we hear about the story of Isaac and Rebekah? And I think it's uh, a couple of commentators just help us understand. This is the start of the narrative's epilogue. The epilogue starts at chapter 22, verse 20, and goes through chapter 25, verse 11. With the question of Abraham's faithfulness and the identity of the heir settled, talking about Isaac, the epilogue transitioned Abraham's story to the Jacob narrative by establishing the union of Isaac and Rebekah, who parent Jacob and his brother. Reporting the productivity of the Nahor clan after the promise of blessing for all nations in verse 18 implies that the Nahor history is part of the beginning fulfillment. So that's why it's where it's at. This is the beginning of the fulfillment that's going to take place. Uh, Kyle and Dillich say this, it prepares the way for the history of the marriage of the heir of the promise. And so, again, it's just, it's preparing us. The genealogy is important for the narrative that follows in Genesis chapter 24. Now, Nahor's genealogy includes 12 sons by two women. Boy, that number 12 pops up all the time, doesn't it? All throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, it's a pretty significant number. And we see that here with Nahor's family as well. And so we see it through two different wives. His, his wife and then a concubine, which is considered a, a secondary wife. We'll talk about that when we get there. But Milka, we see Milka was Nahor's niece. Now, you're going to see um, she was the daughter of Haran, which was Nahor's brother. She was the sister of Lot. You're going to see a family tree pop up here. And uh, I can't read it from here. Hopefully you can read it. I don't know. Anyhow. I'm just telling you that you have Abraham and, uh, and Nahor and Haran, and then under that you have Lot and Milcah and another uh, sister or daughter to him as well. But then you see that uh, Nahor marries his niece. So the intermarrying of family was not considered taboo in the ancient Near East. So I just want you to make, I want to make that clear. You're like, oh, that's gross. Like married his niece. Well, it, just, it was part of the culture of the day. Um, fortunately, we're not doing that anymore. The mention of Milcah also bearing children perhaps gives us insight into the conversation that Abraham was having with this unidentified individual. They're catching up on, on each other's lives. They're sitting down together, having a meal perhaps, and Abraham had shared about Sarah giving birth to Isaac and explained how this happened miraculously. God had promised us like a long time before, and it took forever, and I thought it was never going to happen, and then all of a sudden it did, you know, when she was beyond childbearing years, and I was old and, and almost dead. You know, like God miraculously provided this child, Isaac, and then maybe he was sharing with him, you'll never guess what God asked me to do. Like just a couple of weeks ago, he asked me to sacrifice him, right? Like, but then he provided the substitute ram, and so he's sharing all of this with whoever this unidentified person is. And um, this, uh, this person probably shared about, uh, or, or Abraham shared about Hagar and about Ishmael and, and uh, all this family that he had. And this prompted the individual to inform Abraham that Nahor's wife, Milcah, had also borne sons to his brother. So he said, well, let me tell you about your brother. 
and, and the 12 sons that have been born to him. So who were these sons? You're going to see another, uh, yeah, it already popped up there for you, just another family tree. This is the sons of Milcah. It begins with a statement about Milcah also being a mother and bearing sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. Now that opens, that, that statement opens what they call an inclusio. All an inclusio is is what we're going to see at the end uh, at verse 23 is the, the closing. It's almost identical. The, the same words are almost used, closing this inclusio, and what's in between is what they want us to remember, and it's who the sons are that were born to Milcah. And so we see the firstborn, Uts. You're like, I was wondering how to pronounce that, right? I thought it was Uz. Uts. Uh, His name means wooded. I don't know why. I can't give you any insight on that. He was the firstborn. We know uh, from Jeremiah 25:20 and Lamentations 4:21, they refer to a city named Uts, located in Arabia. So that kind of gives us a little insight of perhaps where uh, he was at. The the next um, son that's mentioned is Booz, and his name means contempt. So there are places or tribes uh, named uh, Booz and Hazo were probably located in a mountainous region of northern Arabia. So there's Arabia again, evidenced by the fact that in Jeremiah 25:23, Booz is mentioned along with Dedan and Tema, which are Arabian tribes or territories. So Hamilton uh, gives us that insight from his commentary. The third uh, son that's mentioned is Kemuel, and his name means raised of God. And then we get, are given this little side note that he's the father of Aram. That is probably going to be significant as we continue to go through the book of Genesis. Then we have Kased, and his name means increase. Hamilton says, Kased may represent the Chaldeans of lower Mesopotamia. So that, again, that kind of gives us an area of where they may have been. Then we have Hazo, which means vision. We have Pildash, which means flame of fire. And we have Yidlaf, which means weeping. We don't know anything else about those fellows. And then we have Bethuel. And his name means God destroys or man of God or dweller in God. And we're given this very important side note about him, that he became the father of Rebekah. Now, Matthews in his commentary says, noting Rebekah in the genealogy refers to the future matriarch by whom blessing will occur for Abraham's family and ultimately all nations. And then we see the inclusio is completed and closed with a nearly identical statement about Milcah bearing eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. Then the visitor tells Abraham about the sons born to Nahor's concubine. Her name is Reumah. Now, a concubine was a secondary wife whose position was not considered disreputable in the East. So it wasn't like uh, she was any less value in this family unit. She just wasn't the first wife. She was the second wife. And we learn, learn that from Barnes. So the sons of Reumah, you see, again, uh, you'll see it pop up there, the family tree. We have Tavak, which means a slaughter. That poor guy. How would you like to be named that? Hey, Slaughter, come over here. I'm like, great. <laughs> I hope he didn't live up to that name. That's all I'm saying. Then we have uh, Gaham, which means burning. And Gaham appears on a 6th century inscription from Arad as one of eight persons from whom grain is either distributed to or collected from. 
So we see him in some other uh, extant uh, inscriptions uh, outside of the Bible. Then um, we have uh, Takash, which means dugong. And I didn't even look that word up to know what dugong means, so I'm sorry. Um, we can Google it later. And then we have Maka'ah, which means oppression. And we learn from, again, another commentator that a place named Maka'ah is located between Gilead on the south, Bashan on the east, and Mount Hermon on the nor- to the north. That is in southern Syria. So, again, we get a little bit of idea of where they would have uh, kind of ended up, where their tribes would have been. And so not much else is known about the other two sons born of Reuma. What we can learn from this passage, or what can we learn from this passage that applies to us today? Just a couple of principles, too, that I want to share with you today. Both um, from two commentaries that I read. Boyce's commentary, and I'm just quoting him for the principle, the Lord is faithful to all who love and obey him from the heart. That just goes back to our big idea today. That, like, God is faithful when we obey faithfully, when we love him. We saw last week that Abraham obeyed the Lord by willingly offering his son as a sacrifice to the Lord. The Lord provided a substitute for Isaac so that Abraham's line would continue through this promised son. How many times did God say to Abraham when Abraham was like, is this ever happening? Can't, can't you like carry on my family line through Ishmael? And he's like, nope, Ishmael's not the chosen one. He's not the covenant son. No, it's going to be through Isaac. It's going to be through you and Sarah. So he heard that a lot, and then when Isaac came, he was like, yeah, it's going to... So then I'm sure that Abraham was like, what is going on? I thought you said that my line was going to continue, and I was going to have, like, like sand of the seashore, right? That many inhabitants. I'm going to have uh, a family as vast as the stars in the sky, and now you're telling me that I'm sacrificing my son. He's not even married yet. He's not even carrying on the line. What's going on here? And it's like, but, but Abraham was just so faithful, And in this passage, we see that the Lord is faithfully preparing the way for Abraham's line to continue through Isaac and Rebekah. And as followers and disciples of Jesus Christ and children of God, we can count on his faithfulness also. We can count on the Lord's faithfulness to us. And I'm just reminded in the book of Hebrews, and it's going to be a long passage. It's the whole chapter 11 um, of Hebrews that I want to read to you today because I want you to catch what's going on here. They call this the, the you know, the, um, the, 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 the faith, heroes of faith. I can't think of the words I want to use. And we see it all through chapter 11. And these individuals, they faithfully obeyed God and loved him and were obedient to what he was calling them to do. And let me read this passage for you, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about how this applies to us today. This is what God's Word says, Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed as, at God's command so that, when, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. So God created stuff out of just you know, his power. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who seeks or comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There's obedience right there. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was uh, looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand of the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who, who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have uh, had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was uh, about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did raise Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. <clears throat> By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded all disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept a Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better 
for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Isn't that phenomenal? All those people, so faithful. And he's like, I can't even tell you about some of these other guys and gals. He's like, they were faithful. They were obedient to me. And he faithfully completed what he had promised them, even though most of them or all of them didn't even see it. They weren't alive to experience it. And so when I think about that today, Abraham and many others obeyed God by faith and and while none of them received what they had been promised, they knew that God would faithfully complete what he had promised. They never lost faith even though they never saw it. So what are you trusting the Lord to faithfully complete in your life? Are you loving and obeying him from the heart? You may never see the completion of what you're hoping for, what you want to see God complete but maybe you're ready to take that first next step today on the back of your communication card. It's this, to love and obey the Lord from my heart and trust him to faithfully complete his plan in my life. The second principle we see through this and how it can be applied to our lives, we see from Wenham in his commentary. He says, God provides for our needs before we even recognize them. Isn't that great? God is eternal. He's sovereign. He knows what we need when we need it, before we do. So God knew Abraham and Isaac's need. The Lord already knew that Isaac would need a wife. The Lord also knew that Abraham would require his chief servant to swear an oath not to get a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites, where they were currently living, but rather from his own relatives back east. We see in this text that Rebekah is already named as one of Abraham's relatives. And the stage is set for Genesis chapter 24. We're going to see in several weeks from now. It'll be after Easter. Here's the great thing. God knew Abraham and Isaac's need, but he knows your needs as well. He knows the financial struggles that you're going through and what you need. He knows the bills that are coming up. He knows the the car that's going to break down (laughs) that you're going to need money for. He knows all about those things. He knows the health issues that you're going to experience. He knows uh, your emotional needs. He knows your spiritual needs. He knows all about you. And he's preparing ahead of time, what you're going to need. Aren't you grateful for that? I know I am. We see it time and time again. Craig Rochelle, in the, the men have been going through the study fight. In the study guide, he says this, if you let your need drive you to God, God will meet your deepest need. That doesn't always happen, though, does it? Sometimes our greatest need drives us to a parent. I need help. It drives us to a friend. Drives us to somebody else. It drives us to look inward and say, how can I deal with this myself? Instead of driving us to God, but I I like that. If you let your need drive you to God, God will meet your deepest need. He knows about the need that you'll have in the future. (coughs) Excuse me. And he's ready and willing to meet your needs when you seek his face. I'm just reminded of Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. This just talks so much about what God knows and does for us, how he's ready to provide for us. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, listen to the, the words of Matthew. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? The answer to that question is yes, we're much more valuable. Who are you, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that wonderful? He's like, he knows. He knows what we need. And he stands ready to help. We seek him with all of our hearts. Jesus reminds us that our greatest need, that in our greatest need, I should say, our first response should be to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. So I have to ask you today, do you always do that? I'll answer it for you. I don't. I don't always seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. And when I don't do that, I don't see the faithfulness of God. But boy, when I stop and I seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, he just provides time and time again. He guides and directs me. And so maybe the second next step is for you today, and that's to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and trust him to provide for my every need. Maybe you just need to stop right now and do that. You know what your need is. You know if it's financial or physical, whether it's spiritual or emotional, or whether it's some other need that you have. And maybe you just need to stop right now and you say, God, I am seeking you first on this today. I've been seeking all these other avenues to try and take care of it, but I'm going to stop right now. I'm seeking you today. And I'm going to trust you to provide. And we don't know when that might happen. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes he changes us. He changes the desire that we have as we cry out to him. As we think about God just providing what we need, I, I want to close with this illustration. It comes from The Unlikely Thanker by Harry Gannett. German pastor Martin Rinkard served in the walled town of Eilenburg during the horrors of the Thirty Years' War of 1618 to 1648. Eilenburg became an overcrowded refuge for the surrounding area. The fugitives suffered from epidemic and famine. At the beginning of 1637, the year of the Great Pestilence, there were four ministers in Eilenburg, but one abandoned his post for healthier areas and could not be persuaded to return. Pastor Rinkard officiated at the funerals of the other two. As the only pastor left, he often conducted services for as many as 40 to 50 persons a day. Some 4,480 in all. In May of that year, his own wife died. By the end of the year, the refugees had to be buried in trenches without services. Just imagine that. Yet living in a world dominated by death... Pastor Rinkard wrote the following prayer for his children to offer to the Lord. And this tells you that he just trusts in God, that he was faithful and he was obedient. 
you're going to recognize these words as we read it. This was his prayer for his children to pray. But we know it as a hymn. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices whose wondrous things hath done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Wow. Do you think he was still faithful? In the midst of horrible stuff going on, epidemics and pestilence, death all around him, and yet he was like, God's faithful. And he obediently stayed right where God had placed him. You know, it's just a, a, a great reminder for us today that God is faithful when we are obedient to him, when we are, are obedient to him and love him out of a grateful heart. And I want to encourage you with that today as we think about this passage. And so as the worship team prepares to come, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit this to the Lord in prayer? Lord, thank you that you are faithful. And that, Lord, we recognize that when we're obedient to you, when we love you uh, with all of our heart. Lord, today I just pray that you would guide and direct us in the decisions that we need to make, Lord God. Maybe we just need to cry out to you today and seek you first instead of all these other avenues. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to that. We just lift ourselves up to you today. We ask, Lord God, that you would just provide, you would make it evident how you're providing for our future. And we just commit ourselves to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?